good to meet you. And obviously it was on, it was on LinkedIn, which was quite funny. Yeah. I mean, there are not millions of uh, Nick Kooners around. So no. uh, that, that was uh, quite fun to see. And I see you are a product management guru. So that is your, your background. Maybe, maybe yeah. give me a bit of your background and I'll, I'll give you a quick rundown of what I've done for the last sort of 20 years. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll kind of like pick up maybe halfway because it's a good way to talk about my story. Yeah. So I started as a software developer and I started doing that right as Apple launched the App Store. And I had, had gone to a school for software development and it just so happened that the language that I learned was going to be very translatable into Apple's very early apps. And so I started learning how to do that. And when I came into the software like development market in, in Toronto, it turned out there was very few people who knew how to do uh, iOS apps. And so I started writing like iOS apps, right? And eventually found myself at a larger agency that did the full suite, early ideation and strategy all the way to you've released your first, maybe second version of that product. We've helped you hire a team to go forward with it. Um, and they were looking to expand their mobile app capability because they had several contracts with like large news agencies in Canada and other sort of uh, companies like that. And so I joined uh, there and was a software developer for a couple of years. One of the things that really bugged me about that job was that all of the designers that I worked with had been very classically trained on the web. And so I would get a high fidelity mock-up of like, okay, here's the screen and I want the username and password and a button that says log in. And I'd say, look, that's really cool. I need a version where the keyboard's on the screen. And they would say, oh, right. Right. And so I became interested in like design, early iteration, those types of things, and became involved in it through that venue because I was the expert in how apps are just different from the web, right? And how they so, operate differently. So basically UX design. Well, I just became interested and involved in it, right? Where previously I was just getting, uh, here are some high fidelity mock-ups for you to go ahead and develop. Now I was helping at the early stage for those teams to avoid some of the pitfalls, uh, needing to redesign screens because they didn't really work with the human interface guidelines that Apple or, or Android had really provided, right? And so I became very interested in this early stage work and through that uh, got into product management through that started thinking a little bit more about what is capable, how are you utilizing your particular market positioning in order to build out apps, right? I used to get involved in the early sales cycles where companies that really didn't need apps were saying, I need, I need an app, got to have an app, right? And I was part of that voice saying, look, I, I think most of what you can achieve can be done on the web. An app is a very expensive thing to own, right? This is like more involved than having a puppy. You really need, it's not just something that you pay a few thousand dollars for and it's there. It's like you, you need to think about it as an entirely separate uh, product that you're selling most, most of the time. So became very interested in product management through that. Um, and then just worked my way through different products, um, mostly sort of Canadian, North American based uh, companies for sure. And uh, find myself now a, a product leader at a, at a company in the e-commerce space. So, I mean, the, the transition from the early days of iOS to where it is now and where Android, obviously you've got, you've got Android and, and, uh, iOS slugging it out. That must've changed quite a lot. So you started, you started from the programming side and then moved into, into project, uh, product management. The, one of the big things I hear about product management is how complex it is because you've got to balance 
the customer, the customer need, and then what can actually be done on time, on budget, et cetera. Maybe, maybe yep. talk to me through how important the customer angle is. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I think I've always taken this approach that success in success in business really has to do a lot with alignment and you need to, there's no, uh, Olympic sport of the like 10 meter different direction, 10 meter dash, right? If you want to win the race, you get everybody lined up, right? And you go in the, the one direction. And I, I believe that's true of the products that you build, of the sales that you try to do, of the marketing that you do, and of the customers that you choose for your products. And if you're a big enough company, you have an opportunity to do that. You have an opportunity to pick the type of customers that you think you're going to be able to hit with. And so when you have that alignment, when you have the product that's going to work for that customer that your salespeople can sell, that you can make a market niche for, it becomes very easy to listen to what your customers are saying because they will be saying the same things as you, right? They will reinforce and validate your research. They'll reinforce and validate your thoughts and your understandings about where your product is going. Uh, when those things aren't aligned, it becomes very difficult to need the, you know, to listen to the customer's needs because they will come from all directions, right? I like to have this, this same conversation when people talk about like, oh, is this kind of thing on your radar? Is this on your radar, right? Well, a radar is a 360 degree view, but you can only go in one of those directions, right? So being on your radar really isn't enough for something to be considered worthy, right? You have to say, is it in your line of sight? Is it in the direction that you're going, right? Or do you need to change that direction, right? Which is always the, the, the question that you need to ask yourself. But I like to think a lot about that the, the challenges and questions that you will get from your customers um, will be very fruitful to you if you're both going in the same direction. If you're expecting that your customers are going to ask questions that lead you, then you're growing like a slime mold, right? You're growing how you just in any direction, right? And, and you're not going to be able to grow that way. You're not going to grow as like fast enough, far enough to be able yeah. to make that sustainable. How do you say no to clients? Yeah, that's a very challenging thing. I think to me, it always comes down to an understanding that the direction and focus is the far most important thing for a business and for, and for a product and being able to propose to someone that your goals as a business are aligned to this particular direction and that you want them to be there with you. Right. But it isn't necessarily, this is what we're going to bend in your direction. Sometimes you are required to do that. And I think the, 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 the way that any product grows has to look like a funnel. Like you've got to go wider as you go, right? Now watching as an example, right? I'm watching the, um, the Apple announcements, uh, that were earlier today about all their new products. And they, these are just one niche, right? This new version of their, their Apple watch, I can't remember the name of it, but the, the Apple watch, like ultra, right? It's like every possible different extreme sport you can do, they've got an answer for you. Well, they're, they're slowly taking that niche and widening it out, but they are cutting out like kite surfing and they are cutting out, do you know what I mean? These other types of uh, sports that just don't maybe fit the, fit their niche. And I, I've never found a person who's very serious about their business to disagree with that stance, right? That they, you are a business and you're trying to operate in the way that you're trying to go. And we want you to go with us, but that doesn't mean we're going to come off our core mission. They will always feel the same things about their own business, about the way that they operate. And so to me, those are never a conversation of a, of a no. Yes, a no is what you're giving, but it's like, look, I want to help you, but I don't want to take myself away from my focus. Yeah. So it's 
a lot of tough love, basically. I mean, they are coming to you to get guidance and, and support and sort of you're the guardrails, basically, of, of this process. I, I just want to talk about, you mentioned the Apple Watch and the, this whole range of new Apple phones that are coming out. So you, you said you focus quite a lot on, on, on iOS. With the hundreds of thousands of different screen sizes and, uh, and options like that, now you've also got watches. I think in the early days of smartphones, there were very few real smartphones and there were very specific sizes. But now we've got yep. the Samsung folding, foldy ones. We've got tabs. You've got how, I mean, how, obviously there's software that aligns a lot of these things, but that's a lot of individual adaptation and work for big brands to make sure that the experience, the brand experience or the, the app experience works across hundreds of devices. Do you just cut out some devices and say, well, too bad, you're not going to get on this? Or how do you shoehorn these designs to look great across all of these platforms? Yeah, the answer is that you, you can't. The answer is that you, you can target a big segment uh, in the middle and hope that you get everyone. You're in luck because cameras have become your phone. And so that means that at some orientation, your phone will have a 16 by nine type of view, right? And that's, you'll see that across every phone. And so whether the sizes are larger, they're not putting out triangles, right? They're not putting out circles. They're all yes, like this particular size rectangle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so if you can, if you can target that, yes, you're not going to get the best uh, brand experience on every single device, but you can't. You can't do everything 100%. You can't do anything 100% perfectly, right? So yeah. you just have to exclude what you can't get. Exactly. Focus uh, is, is how I would say it. Sorry to, focus, to interrupt yeah. you, but yeah, stay no focused, problem. right? Now, we've obviously had uh, about a year or so out of COVID. How did COVID affect your, your working? You're obviously in the, in the tech, tech industry where people yep. are used to using Zoom and things like that. But how did that impact on, on your way of working? And has it gone back to normal or is the new normal better? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, it, it's changed my work in two different ways because now I think all of the products and features that I work on have to take a completely different approach. And I, I can touch back on that in a moment. But then the ways of working no longer is like whiteboards and stickies or maybe it is some digital version of that. I think what I have found at least is true in my sphere of work um, post COVID is that the assets that we write stick around for longer because people are forced to type them rather than scribble them on a sticky and stick them to a wall and then maybe take a photo and then maybe never look at the photo. And so things are a little bit more intentional and they might move slower, but there's very little rework. And I find I have an expectation that product managers need to be situationally available for all sorts of new different questions, but also be able to segment themselves away for a little while. And definitely like working remotely is, has helped with that. You just, you need to be able to spend a couple hours on Google, you know what I mean? Like researching and looking at the things that are your third horizon away uh, opportunities. You need to be doing that on a frequent basis and you can't do that in an office. It just, it just never really worked. So usually people or booking rooms by themselves, or that was the day that they worked from home and a half day or go to a cafe. And now it just becomes uh, natural. You don't have to pre-plan it. So I find at least in the ways that I've been working with, uh, since post COVID or, or during COVID, I think more of our, uh, work has become a little bit more intentional and I'm finding that people are having a little bit more space for their own time. 
their own time to sort of work, work by themselves and that that's been a benefit. Okay. Uh, we talk about planning and I'm sure a lot of your work revolves around planning and project management as well. So obviously your role is not project management, but I'm sure there's, uh, a lot of project management software that you use. What, what are you currently using and, uh, does it really work? Yeah, that's a good question. The, the so, reason I ask that is because I'm, I'm training, I've got new students in now and we are going through project management and we are yeah. now starting to onboard them onto a variety of project management tools like monday.com. I use Asana, um, yeah. but whew, the, the, the onboarding phase is, is quite, is quite daunting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely for core product management, long-term planning, I've really warmed up to aha. Um, but you can't really use that well for granular individual, um, sort of task tracking. It's really not good at that. You've got to look a little bit higher and you can use it for timeline management and burn down and all those types of things. You don't have to, and I don't use it that way because I don't think that it's, I don't think it's a very good timeline tool. Um, I think a, a calendar and a spreadsheet works, frankly, the, the best for that because it's the most flexible, right? The uh, Asana is also within my uh, wheelhouse. I like that quite a lot. I think it has some advantages over uh, Jira, primarily because Jira Jira is great and it does everything. But there's there's definitely lots of software that uh, can help you a little bit better. Where where Jira is problem for me is that it, the user story becomes the main element that you can really only have like one or two levels above that, and you can really only have a couple of levels below that, and Asana allows you to have this kind of infinitely nesting group of things. And so you can, you can take one entire strategic initiative, break that down into several different features, break those down into several different phases, break those down into individual requirements, break those down, break those down, break those down. Uh, and that's not a, that's not a problem. And so if you want to be able to give your executive team a very good look at the progress that you're making, Asana can do that in a way that Jira is troublesome to do that. And if you want to be able to link things in one tool and not have to have your team members doing a translation layer where they're looking at the progress made and then making some report out of that, Asana is really great for that as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm an Asana fan, but they don't give, there are no education licenses. So I was like, guys, right. give me an education license. I'll, I've got about a hundred students I can get this to, but they said, well, we can give you a discount. So I said, well, monday.com helped us out. So. It's, uh, it's preferable, but I suppose on slightly simpler, simpler tasks, the, the monday.com would, uh, would, uh, will, will do the job for us. Yep. Obviously AI, machine learning, all of these cool things are, are swirling around us at the moment. And one of the big, uh, new factors has been the introduction of uh, chat GPT and being able to write code. Yeah. Has this been something that your team have taken advantage of? Do you? subscribe to do you think it's a uh, what is your take on how chat gpt chat gpt4 and the, these other options are there are, are helping either improve or just bog down work in in, in, the, in your current environment yeah i know a good number of uh developers use it i don't think that they're using it to write their final code but they might use it as a really good way to get um guidance or another perspective in the same way that they might get from bothering their next door neighbor and saying, well, I'm trying to solve this problem. What would you do? Right. 
And so I, I think it provides another way to do that really easily for developers and can definitely come up with some very interesting, probably someone else wrote it at some point, uh, ways to solve, so solve different problems. I've also told all the product managers on my team that they're free to use ChatGPT for anything that they wanted to. They're just responsible for whatever they write down, right? <laughs> you want to write some requirements. I don't really care how you got it there as long as they're the requirements and that you are fundamentally responsible for them, right? And they've told me that that's something that they do, right? Please summarize this uh, long thing into something that's shorter in bullet points or whatever can take a human a half hour, right? Or more. And it's not really interesting work. You're not adding any value. Uh, and if you can have that come out in really just a few seconds and then look it over, I don't see why people wouldn't take advantage of it. Yeah, I, I totally see it as, a, as the new washing machine, dishwasher, uh, vacuum cleaner, it does exactly right. that job. It's just taking away some of the drudgery that we used to have. Hasn't taken the drudgery away completely, but it's like you said, uh, summarizing points and things like that, or getting a first first draft of something out. I really, I really think it's it's fan, it's fantastic. Yep. Now let's go a little bit into your podcast background because that's another interesting side to this. We are chatting yep. on LinkedIn and I said, I've got a new podcast and you said, well, wait a minute, you were doing some of that as well. So maybe talk to me about, uh, some of your background, uh, and experiences in podcasting. Yeah, for sure. So myself and a, and a colleague, uh, Rob Kennedy, who was the host, uh, of that show started in, oh, I couldn't tell you what year it must be 2013 or something started a podcast called entrepreneurs in small rooms, drinking coffee. Yes, very much based off of the, the Jerry Seinfeld comedians in cars getting coffee, but it had the same kind of idea. Rob and I worked to create a early morning before the workday starts. Founders, sometimes uh, venture capitalists, come on in and tell us your story, half an hour, 45 minutes. And we worked hard to make sure that people weren't wearing headphones, that there wasn't a microphone stuck in their face, that after five or 10 minutes, they forgot that they were being recorded where they were, who they were talking to, and they were just giving us the real raw understanding. And so through that, I think we got to almost a hundred, uh, interviews. It wasn't entirely, uh, scheduled. Didn't like come out every week. They were all about a half an hour. And I was responsible for setting up and tearing down the audio setup. That's like a capability that I have. Uh, and then also working with, with Rob to figure out what kinds of things we want to ask people and that type of thing. We, we did a couple of episodes from Montreal Startup Fest, which was really interesting, but all founders who are polished, who've had to do a pitch before, who know how to talk to media more or less, right? Telling us about the struggles of how their business is going, what they're trying to do, their pivots. Sometimes we, we had one guest who we booked and they were just about to get funding. And they were going to talk about how their funding was going. And by the time we actually got them on the show, actually, they had to fold their startup and close down. And so that's the story that yeah. they told, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's the exciting thing about uh, podcasting uh, is the stories. And I mean, I've, I've, this is uh, my 13th podcast now. So this is still, uh, still yep. early days. But I've had park rangers. I've had uh, uh, concert pianists. I've had uh, right. Akashic healers. So... It's been a bit of a variety, but all focused on digital marketing and, uh, and branding, which is, which has been quite fun. And, uh, the process and the different styles of, of interview, uh, everyone is different. Some folks are right. very upbeat. It's really easy to have a, a conversation. Some are 
nearly one word answers or, wow, that's a great question. Thank you for asking. And, and then go into it. So it's, uh, it's been a mixed bag, but uh, yep. each story has been fascinating and it's, it's a great way to, to meet people. The technology in podcasting has changed as well since when you started out. So if you say 2013, I mean, that's a good, that's a decade ago, Nick. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm using Riverside right now, which does editing. It does it, it sends it directly to Spotify. Uh, it does audio canceling. It does a whole, a whole bunch of things. The industry is changing quite a lot. Almost everyone and their dog can have a, a podcast. What would you do to, if you had to restart a podcast now, what sort of angle would you, would you aim at, or would you even do a podcast? Well, I have a, a YouTube channel as well, though it's not on uh, startups, it's on, on photography. Yeah. Uh, but I think, uh, podcasting is, is very interesting. It has a combination of being able to get very raw, very easy content from people where they're like today, or just scheduled this and it's, it's working out. Right. Yeah while also having really high CPMs and an incredibly engaged audience. So the ad revenue is there, the audience is there, the content isn't always challenging to get and put together. And so it means that staying on top of current affairs, staying on top of one string long conversation, those types of things are a lot easier on podcasts than they are on any other platform, yeah. right? And the long form content is something that people have always really engaged with. And so I think podcasts are really just amazing, right? And it's depending on uh, who you get them from. I think there was a time in which having a podcast that was entirely based on someone's personality and their engagement uh, was really possible. And I think that that's still, you still see celebrity podcasts being able to start those types of things, but any market that gets saturated with content, really what it, what you end up um, being able to find is that the ones who are winning are the ones who are differentiating. So if I were to start a podcast today, I would start a podcast with a very narrow niche, right? That was like the marketers who like to hike who are men. And I would get you and I would get all of your friends, right? And you would be listening. Absolutely. And slowly you find a way to grow that a little bit more, but you, you may not sign up to the hiking only podcast. You may not sign up to the marketing only who knows what topic, but being able to put together a podcast that's got a very consistent topic that people have an expectation of the types of things they're going to hear and that it connects very closely with them, they won't look at the view count. They, it doesn't matter. They yeah. care only about the content. And that's, that's probably the approach that I would take uh, if that was something that I wanted to do. Yeah. Well, I, I had to look at your YouTube and there's some stunning photographs there. So obviously you, you get out into the wild and uh, set yourself up there. Maybe talk about your photographic process and when and how and why you got started on photography coming from a uh, product uh, management in the yep. background. Yeah, thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about that. It, it's interesting actually, because in the same, same six months that I bought a camera, I also transitioned into being a product manager. And so actually the same time that I've been doing uh, this product management careers, I've also been investing as my main hobby uh, into photography. So I, I really got into it, honestly, like based on watching a lot of very interesting videos uh, on YouTube of other photographers and the results that they were able to get and that I, with my phone, was coming absolutely nowhere near, right? Like I just was not able to, to get this type of thing. And any educational story about how someone is going to better themselves really, or like learn a new skill, really begins with they see something that they think is unachievable and they say, well, how? How can I, I get that? 
And what I've learned about myself is like, if you want Nick to be able to do something, the best way to do it is to say, Nick, you're not capable of this. And then come a year from now, right? I've like found a way to learn how to do that sort of thing. And so my, uh, my photography process, I, I'm doing nature and I'm doing uh, landscape photography specifically, and it's incredibly slow. Um, I will plan out in detail uh, a particular sunrise. I'll be looking at the weather. I'll be looking at angles, right? I'm on Google Maps looking at every single little photo, like 360 view to try to figure out what the, what the right things are. Um, planning it out, right? I, I went, to, uh, went to the Canadian Rockies last year and had every single minute of a four-day completely accounted for, right? Sleeping at this time, here's when I need to get up, here's while I'll be showering, like everything, right? And I need it to be like that because the sun is going to rise at a particular time and not, it's not going to wait for you, right? Sun's going to set that type of thing. And so a lot of my process is methodical and I think it matches the way that I think about uh, product management that you need to get everything perfect. And once you have that, you can engineer, you know, a good, a good uh, photo in the same way that you can engineer a good result for a feature for a product by doing your research, making sure the conditions are correct, making sure you're in the right spot to do that, and then waiting for the moment and getting the moment. And sometimes it doesn't work out, but it's a lot easier than serendipity, right? It's a lot easier to get uh, results that you planned for than to just get and maybe fail at it, right? But the more you plan, the luckier you get with great shots. So uh, that it definitely does boil down to planning. And I think obviously your, your very well-planned uh, processes mm -hmm. help in photography as well, which is why the shots are so great. Do you do it for your own edification or is this also something perhaps that would be phase two or phase three for, for Nick in terms of is this something you could do full-time or something that actually has uh, financial viability or something that you want to do when you're up until you're, you're an old man? I don't know, but I plan out my life that intentionally, right? I think definitely uh, photography and especially if you do it as a creator on YouTube or any other platforms has the abilities to definitely pay for a very nice life if that's something that you can get. Um, so does product management. So does it put you up here, different things that you can do. Actually, we were just talking about, uh, Apple earlier, earlier in our conversation and like a, a product manager, Apple might be a $750,000 a year job and your title might be product manager, iPad, right? And you run a worldwide multi-billion dollar uh, business and you contribute to that, right? From a product management perspective. And so that's, that's not the type of work that I do. I like to work with a lot smaller companies who are just getting started out or need a little bit of a redo, but I like the work that I do and, uh, who knows whether I'll end up making uh, photography, something that I end up making money off of. We'll see. Well, you definitely going to have to come visit us in Norway. We've got some beautiful landscapes. So yeah. we're well, Norway and in South Africa as well. So if you want more, uh, more wilderness and uh, a couple of animals in the background, because I'm sure in, in uh, Canada, you've got a couple of, uh, mooses and ducks running yeah. around, but not, but nothing too deadly. Well, bears, 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 all, okay. bears all over the place. Right? Cool. Well, Nick, that was uh, super interesting and good to, good to get to know you a little bit and hear about uh, some of your insights in product management and some of your photography and uh, some impact of AI on your business and how you are actively getting your team to use it, which is, which is great. So thanks for joining, joining today and uh, hope to chat to you soon. Of course. Very, uh, very nice. Thank you for, uh, 
thank you for inviting me on. Very nice to meet you, uh, my <laughs> doppelganger. And yeah, it, it, good luck with the rest of your uh, podcast. Maybe I'll I'll uh, come on again if I'm if I'm invited. Yeah, that'd be good. Cheers, Nick. Chat with Nicholas. He'll listen to you. Then he'll laugh and then he'll cry with you. It's all in a safe space for you to speak your truth. Oh.